Hey podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual Biblical Symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8-9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible as Literature podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with The Bible is Literature. This is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Hello, Dr. Benton. How are you doing today? Good, Father. How are you doing? I am right back on the clock, ready to talk about Father Paul's continuing introduction to the book of Genesis. In today's program, Father Paul spends a lot of time talking about two very important Hebrew words, bereshit bara. Right. And literally translated, these mean in the beginning, created, in that order. And Father Paul makes an important point about why this grouping of words is significant for understanding this as the initial words of Scripture. This is where the entire book begins, and it lays out the initial premise for the entire Bible. He calls it, in fact, not just the title of Genesis, Richard, but the title of Scripture. He will talk about Hebrew not just as something you hear, but as something you see. You have to actually look at the words, not just hear them. And that will become clear as you listen to Father Paul explain these terms. The other interesting and important point that he raises about Hebrew terminology is that when translated into English, there are many words in Hebrew that are only rendered with a single word in English, the word God. El, Eloah, Elohim, and Ha, Elohim. Father Paul often refers to the nominal sentence, and that is a noun followed by another noun or an adjective or something like that, which in English would be rendered with the verb to be, but in Arabic and Hebrew, there is no verb to be. And so it's just going to be a noun and then the next piece, because you have the option in Arabic and in Hebrew to begin a sentence with a verb, that would be a verbal sentence. So a nominal sentence is a sentence that begins with a noun, and that noun is the premise then of that sentence. He will talk about how it is incorrect to impose the Latin term ex nihilo, which is a term that comes from the philosophical and theological traditions that we impose on the text. Ex nihilo, translated from Latin, means from nothing. And it has to do with the philosophical understanding of what came before the creation of the world. And Father Paul is going to talk about the problems with this idea. So we are very excited to present once again, Father Paul Tarazi on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Going back to Genesis 1-1, we realize that the author relegated the title of chapters 1 through 4 to 2-4 in order to give precedence 
to this majestic statement, which is in its own way the Alpha and the Omega of the entire message of scriptures. Bereshit bara. Notice the play on the words in the original again. You can't translate that. And I'm referring to the fact that the construction the author used to express in the beginning, which is six letters, the first three letters of Bereshit are the three letters of the verb bara. When you look at it in the Hebrew, again here, those who know Hebrew will understand what I'm talking about. There is a bet, a resh, and an aleph. Bereshit bara. There again, you know, it's something striking. Now, it becomes more telling when one realizes that bara in Hebrew, and I'll make a shortcut in order not to overindulge in technicalities. Technically means to make functional. It's not that it is there. Notice how in verse 2, the earth is in shambles. And then it is made functional. So this verse 1-1 is a super title to what God will be doing in Genesis chapter 1. It's, if you like, the title of Scripture. The title of chapter 1, the title of chapter 1 through 4, and by extension, the title of Scripture. That this Elohim makes functional our, obviously, we are the addressees, the human beings. Our reality, which in those times was expressed around you, you have the earth, and above you, you have the heavens. That's your reality. And you are a part of that. You cannot be without this, the rain and the earth. And so. But what the author is adding is that this reality, if you like, I'm using the common words, is dead. Like when you say it's a dead body. Obviously, it's a body, but it's a dead body. It's non-functional without this God. He is the one who makes it functional. Here again, theology errs the way it erred in handling Adam as being the center of that word. It errs in assuming that here God means whatever God you have in your own mind. This reminds me of my students. But the Bible say God did that or said that. I say, my dear friend, which God are you talking about? The classic answer. But there is one God, Father Paul. Yes, I understand. But my dear friend, for you to begin describing him or talking about him, let's say I ask you, tell me about this God. You are already quoting Genesis one, two, and beyond. But I'm telling you, how can you inject this into one one? You can only retroject it. Meaning, and I want everybody to hear it, you may not say 
anything about Elohim. You have to assume that there is an Elohim and wait patiently to hear what the text is telling you about it, that word. And let me immediately go to the heart of the matter. Here again, those who do not hear scriptures in Hebrew cannot really understand what scripture is saying because in the Hebrew text, to speak about God, which is rendered theos in Greek, God in English, we have El by itself, Eloah by itself, and then we have Elohim, which is a plural term grammatically. And this plural is very important to keep in mind. Those who don't know Hebrew, please listen carefully. Because in many instances, it means gods, and actually it is translated gods by the Septuagint and the English. Because it's a plural. Now, obviously, my hearer are saying, so what does it mean? My answer is precisely, you have to be patient. You may not interject in Genesis 1.1 your Greek mind and your Anglo-Saxon mind and your French mind. And to complicate the matter, we have in the Bible the same Elohim sometimes with the definite article Ha Elohim. And we're going to say this very soon and you will have to put up with my discussion of it. So we have El, Eloah, Elohim, and Ha Elohim. And in English, you're stuck with the word God, except when you decide that Elohim means plural, you say gods, but technically you're saying God. So I'm inviting all of you, please be not only patient, but also submissive. Learn. And then when you learn, if you disagree with me, I would be very happy to read an article by you showing where I went wrong. And if I see that I went wrong, I'll correct it. Because I'm not the reference. It's the text that is the reference. So already, Genesis 1.1 traps the hearers. I am talking, and you listen, and you have to wait which is a prelude to how this same God will appear on Mount Sinai, where you do not have a classroom where every member of the people of the Israelites raises their finger and asks a question. No, God talks and that's it. You cannot do anything except to do or not to do what he asked you to do. So to go back to 1.1, I would translate it after all this explanation in this way. As a premise, this is what Bereshit 
means. And the funny thing about Pacific theology is it got it on one hand, but it plays with it on the other hand. Because the Greek is archi. Archi means premise. This is what the Arabic grammar calls the noun in the nominal sentence. It's a premise. A dog is big. What's the dog? I mean, it's a dog. And let me tell you about it. It's a premise. As a premise of my whole biblical story, and notice the connection between as a premise and bara. It is Elohim that makes functional our entire world in which we live and of which we are a part. We are within and thus from the Toledot of this reality in the beginning as a premise. When I refer to Alexandrian theology, because it accepts that on the one hand, but then in place with it, without beginning and before the beginning. How can you speak about before the premise? There is nothing before the premise. And here again, let me go back to theology because it is irritating. We hear the father spending so many pages to explain the fact that in the so-called Trinity, only the father is anarchos, without premise, because he is the premise of the other two. And then in the Greek original of the troparion of the resurrection, tone five, we refer to the logos by which we understand Jesus as sinanarchos, co-without beginning. The English does not render that. You say co-eternal and you accept it. But the original is contradictory to the basic line of thought of patristic theology. People just play with words to express what they want to express, and they get stuck with the filioque and so on and so forth, which is nowhere to be found in Scripture. It's made up later. So let me finish by saying the author is slamming you with his premise. You may disagree with it. Then stop reading and stop hearing. But you are not allowed to play with the text the way you want. You bring a God from the outside that is already in your mind and you slam him or her or it into the text and then you are amazed why you are always fighting with other people as to the meaning of what the Bible is saying, but God cannot do that. It's impossible that we would imagine that God cannot be like that and so on and so forth. This Elohim is whatever scripture will be telling you about it, him, her, them, it doesn't matter. That's the word. And yet it is this Elohim that is put as the premise behind the world in which you live. And you have that famous statement to Psalms, to which I refer often, to the Lord is the earth, which is the world in which we live technically, and all those who live in it. Now, in Hebrew, you don't have to wait to understand that it is so, because the words tell you, as a premise, 
obviously of the author. Bara Elohim, remember the verb comes before the subject in Hebrew. This Elohim made functional our world. And then the author details how this functionality, and I shall show you that indeed it is so. Remember, the earth was a shambles, and God did something about it in the beginning. There was only waters, and it is God that forces the land. It's a big deal. And then the summation into four to prepare for the second story of creation. Remember, two four is a hinge between the two. We have the summation of that on two levels by introducing Toledot and by subsuming what was said until now through the two verbs, bara and asa, put together. Let's hear it and I'll end with that. These are the Toledot of the heavens and the earth. In their being made functional in the day of the Lord God making earth and heavens. Very powerful. Thank you for your patience. And you will need it from now on. And please, if you can, take notes. Or as Father Mark said, bookmark it, get back to it. You have really to digest all this and make the effort to do so. And slowly on, you will see that it's not as complicated as it is. It's the way when you start learning a language or something new or physics or chemistry. The difference and the contrast is very stark between Bereshit Bara and Eile Toledot and Zesefer Toledot. And, you know, this distinction I'm seeing so clearly now between bara and yalad, the making functional, often translated as creating, like in Genesis 1.1, and then the toledot from yalad, giving birth, which assumes something comes before it. And so I just wondered if you could just one more time emphasize the contrast we see here between Genesis 1-1 and every time we have the Toledo 2-4, 5-1, etc. You're pushing it, but it's okay. When you again go through the Bible, you will find at the end of Isaiah, when God is making the new Jerusalem, we have bara, but then towards the end, the fifth form of the Yalad. He makes Jerusalem to produce sons and daughters. So the authors are really superlative because in the birth, that's what you do technically. You make something non-functional, functional. The first thing the newborn has to do, which the newborn has not done before, is to become a nefesh. I know people understand nefesh as soul, living soul. No, the baby was already in the womb of the mother. But the baby becomes functional through breathing, which is the meaning of nefesh. So the conjunction is much richer. You are richer, remember. It's much richer then you presented it when you used the word contrast. But what I want the hearer to understand, that one should not fall into the trap of understanding bara 
as creating, and then we add ex nihilo. This is where I want the hearer. I know it's very hard because this is what we were injected with. Let's go for create in English. I mean, you allowed me to go on an aside, and I think it's very important. Is from the verb creo, creare in Latin, which does not mean to create the way we assume, create out of nothing, this addition of out of nothing. There was something there. The earth was tohu and bohu. Creo creare, as I explain time and again in my books, means when you call out, which is the verb kara, and that will become very important at the end of chapter four. So you open a Pandora's box. My apology, Richard, but I need to defend the ground. This is how someone was made emperor. The legions cry out and name him emperor like this. It's the way the people name someone, a president, a king, and so on. It's not that there was nothing and then they created something. So I would be careful of your use of the word contrast, because this is what the theologians prey on. They love to get philosophy into the matter. Creation ex nihilo, nihil, nothing. How could something be a nothing? Notice the English word nothing. You have to assume a thing and then to eliminate it, to imagine the nothing. How can you say ex nihilo? The nihil is a philosophical, theological creation interjection. All you're saying, my premise is that what you see around you and is there in all its facets, as the author will speak about the water and the land and the vegetation and the animals and so on, he says, as a premise, it is God that made these things functional. But he is reticent to apply the verb yalad to God because you assume that it is the Greek pantheon and so on. You see, he is technically attacking the world of the deities in Greece and Babylon at the same time, where you have females and males and begetting and so on and so forth. Athena being the exception coming from the head of Zeus. So it's really, perhaps one should always take seriously what I say when I say, and I repeat it, I know it irks many people, that scripture was conceived not as a statement, but as an anti-statement. It is already attacking, as though I would enter the classroom in OT 101, which I did it in my own way. It would sound like this. Actually, I said it, now I remember. Just dismiss what you have in your mind. It has no value. I'm going to try to the best of my ability in this classroom to show you what scripture is saying. That's what scripture is doing. One needs to wait and hear further to figure out what the author means with this strange term in Hebrew, Elohim, which is a plural, and I repeat, because many times Elohim, you must translate it as plural from the context.
The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.